This is the Pariah Podcast, written and read by me, Philip Carroll. This is episode number 18, Growing Pains. I can't, Crystal, Keo said, forcing the words from deep in his chest. I'm afraid during the night my desires will become too strong, and I might take advantage of you in your sleep. I wouldn't mind. She took both of his hands and gripped them close to her. You wouldn't be taking advantage of me, because I would want you to. Stay with me. That's the problem, Crystal. I don't want that. We don't want that kind of accident. We have too much at stake. We're here to find our creatures and then grow with them. An accident, whether we're okay with it or not, would change all of that. We have to stay focused on the future, not this moment. His shoulders seemed to have crept up his neck without him realizing it. Keo sighed and relaxed. He wrapped his arms around Crystal and pulled her close to his chest and kissed the top of her head. I love you, little girl. Keo looked down on her. I hadn't planned on telling you that tonight because it's so new to me being in love, loving you, but I do. Of all the girls in this camp, it's you my eyes keep returning to, and my ears are forever straining for the sound of your voice. Trust me, there will be plenty of time later. When we have our creatures, we can be together. I'll see you in the morning. She clung to his tunic like a burr. Keo lifted her up. Supporting her beneath her legs, he held her so that her face was level with his. He kissed her while others walked past them, talking in low voices, or not at all. He held her for a long time before setting her back on her platform and returning to his own. Leaving Crystal, the longing in her eyes, the desire pulsating from her heart and her mind, was the hardest thing Keo had to do thus far in his short life. He hoped he had the fortitude to hold up against the feelings which would build over the next few days before the egg hunt. Nick knelt in the loam and ferns, wishing there was a little more moonlight to illuminate his sand tray. He didn't actually need light. He smoothed the sand with the side of his stylus without even looking at the tray, and if he closed his eyes and considered it, He could see every rune he had ever learned. He could draw each without thinking about it. Still, the runes he wanted to scribe refused to come to his mind. When he had set out earlier in the evening, as he slid the sand tray and components from the special pocket sewn into his pack, his purpose was clear. Why was it suddenly so difficult to concentrate now? Was it the swamp or Keo himself clouding his mind? Obviously, his purpose was centered on the core leader. Why else would he be kneeling in the shrubs within ten yards of Keo's platform? He should forget about this waste of effort and go back to bed. Nick nearly laughed out loud. That was it. He wanted to cast a rune of forgetfulness on his nemesis. He needed for Keo to be less aware of him. When Nick was inevitably unable to find an egg, he must keep the knowledge from Keo or his purpose among the creature handlers would become universally known. Before he could draw the required rune, Nick needed something from Keo. A hair would be great, 
but something he'd touched or partially eaten would work as well. He left his sand tray in the shadows among the trees and tiptoed carefully through the ferns to the clearing around Keo's platform. Nick crouched on the cool clay path, listening to the core leader's soft breathing. Crawling to the edge of the platform, he rose to a half-crouch. Keo lay on his mat in the center of the square structure, a small jug of water a foot from his head. Water from the jug would be perfect. A drop or two to wet the parchment square placed over the rune would blend with the magic lily extract to seal the rune. However, Nick must first retrieve the jug without waking Keo. He wished there had been a rune of weightlessness. He could have learned to levitate himself across the wooden platform without sound. As far as he knew, no such rune or ability existed. Instead, he crawled, agonizingly slow, across the two yards of open platform to the jug. From the position of the moon rising above the platform, Nick deduced it took him more than an hour to get the water and return to his sand tray. Within seconds of reaching the tray, he drew the rune, tipping three drops of water from the jug, and spilled one precious drop of swamp lily oil onto the parchment square. Back at his own platform, Nick burned the square and watched the smoke of the rune dissipate into the air. Keo's concern for him should dissipate, just as the smoke had. Keo woke the next morning, feeling gray and one-dimensional. Something was fundamentally wrong with the day, like he had woken in an entirely different place than he had gone to sleep in the night before, yet he couldn't place what was different. He was thirsty and looked around his platform for where he had left his water jug. Hmm, I thought it was right here. After he dressed and stepped off his platform, he saw Crystal walking toward him from the assembly area. His mood immediately lifted at the sight of her. That was a relief. He was afraid his funk was the result of their previous night's discussion. She smiled when she saw him looking at her and her emotion pulsed with happiness, security, and contentment. They kissed and walked hand in hand to breakfast. Today will be different than the preceding few, Sergeant Malcourt told them at the morning assembly. You have been spending time with friends and lovers, learning to experience empathy from the people you feel most comfortable with. Today, I want you to try to find a secluded place, preferably beyond the edges of the forest near the mudline of the swamp. There should be plenty of places out along the shore over there. The sergeant indicated an area of the forest and mudflats with a long sweep of his hand, beyond their company area and away from companies A and B. While you're out there, I want you to listen for your creature. I can't tell you how it will sound, because each creature has an individual call. It might be a clicking, or a whistle, or singing, or humming. You will recognize it because the creature in its egg will recognize your presence. Few of you will hear your creature today. Just relax and open your minds to its call. Don't worry if you think you're unsuccessful. You'll have three more days of practice before the actual egg hunt and harvest begins. The sergeant appeared about to dismiss them when another thought came to him. Also, don't worry about your new friends or lovers. You might want to think about them. 
Try to put them out of your minds. You'll be back with them this evening after dinner. Now, head on out. Stop by the serving line and take some food and drink with you. You'll be away for most of the day. Kia walked with Crystal to the food line, chose some items to wrap in a bundle to carry, and turned to Crystal. I'll look for you right over here tonight, okay? Apprehension overflowed from her mind to match the concern on her face, and Kio asked, Why are you so worried? It's just the same as the last few days, except we're supposed to be by ourselves so we can meditate. I don't know. There's something. She frowned and looked towards the swamp where the sergeant had indicated. She raised her shoulders and said, Okay. Kio strode from the camp. He had a place in mind from previous trips around the swamp where he thought the tapping sound he associated with his creature was the loudest. As usual, he always knew exactly where Bree and Crystal were, even though he tried to ignore them. Others' thoughts floated in and out of his awareness as they passed. The odd thing was, he didn't feel Nick's presence at all this day. Since coming to the swamp, he typically knew where each of his link leaders was and their general state of mind. While he walked, he listened to the hiss of creatures calling out of the swamp, underlying the rumbling roar of his fellow humans and their mix of apprehension, excitement, and expectation. Creeping beneath everything else he sensed was a distinct feeling of unease. Was it crystal, or just the memory of her discontent at the assembly area? Or was something else mixing discord with the general enthusiasm of the camp? He forced worry from his mind and concentrated on the heavy tap, tap, tap within the hiss of creature voices. He walked with purpose. His memory of the route to his waiting spot was in a direct line with the tapping sound. At times, he wanted to break into a run, but the ground was too uneven and trees too thick to make running safe. He found the clearing like a cove in the sea of grass where it cut into the forested land. The ground beneath the short grass was solid, and he made his way to the bank where oily clay met the firmer, more nutritious soil. Keo sat at the edge, though the mud reeked of organic decay. He closed his eyes and listened, focusing his mind outward toward the water of the distant shallow lake. Malevolent discord vibrated in the woods behind him from the direction he had just come. The disturbance was so faint and variable, he told himself it had to be someone's lack of confidence in the day's activity. He returned his mind to the marsh and the hiss and the tap, tap, tap. Keo tried to focus his thoughts on the assigned activity and ignore the negative thoughts milling in the trees behind him. Though he kept the discord isolated and distant, it had spread across the clearing behind him and into the woods at his right. Whoever it was, who was so unhappy and concerned about this exercise, had moved past him. But the negative energy didn't pass. It drew toward him, from the darkness of the trees on both sides of the clearing. What worried Keo most was that the concern resolved into solid and identifiable emotions of anger, hate, revenge, and justification. Keo had to go. They were after him. He recognized their hate and anger like mounting black clouds, and this thunderstorm was about to open up on him. Feeling profound hate closing in on him from the woods on both sides, he turned and ran away from the swamp into the deep end of the grassy cove.
Something flew toward him on his right side. He ducked his head in time to avoid it. Back at home, they called it a triple weight. Three ropes tied together at the center and weights at the other. The device was spun over the head and tossed at an animal to wrap around its legs and trip it up, or around its neck to choke it to death. Successfully avoiding the triple weight thrown at the level of his neck, which would likely have killed him, Keo failed to notice the other thrown at his legs. His face and chest plowed into the ground as his legs became painfully wrapped by the rough cords. The mob's emotions shouted murder at him. He had to escape or he would be killed. Keo rolled onto his back, prepared to arch and kick at any who approached. Hooded boys ran from the trees and threw nets over him, tangling his arms. No one spoke as they slowly gathered around him. He knew their names by the intensity of their emotions. Their leader, Storgant Vangled, was obvious by his build, but confirmed by his hate and contempt. And then they fell on him with wooden mallets and clubs cut from heavy branches. Keo struggled to cover his head with his arms, but they were too entangled in the nets to help. I'm not going to stop, Storgant. I'm not going to change, no matter what you do, Keo said, until one of the boys kicked him in the face. His upper lip burst open and blood filled his mouth. Agony lanced up his nose and behind his eyes. He struggled against the dizziness with its darkness encroaching into his vision, threatening to black him out. He didn't want to lose to these bullies by simply falling unconscious. He would continue to fight until his strength gave out. Unable to resist, the boys picked Keo up by the net and half-carried, half-dragged him through the grass to a shallow stream. It cut its way through a clay bank to the lake far beyond. They dropped him and then beat him with their clubs and kicked him in the shins and knees. To his horror, bound by the nets and unable to resist or move, the boys rolled him face down into the stream. He hit the water and settled below the surface like a water-soaked log. It was dark. He was underwater. Unless they pulled him from the stream in just a few minutes, he would succumb to his need for breath and suck water into his lungs. But the boys weren't going to drag him back from the water. They were already hurrying away. Even through his own panic, he felt their emotions of fear change to triumph, vindication, with an undertone of guilt. Keo called out in his mind for help. He called for Crystal, for Bree, even for Storgant, for anyone who might be around him. The only emotions he heard were distant, too far to make out who or where, too far away for anyone but himself to hear his calls. His body was numb, sinking into the sticky mud below the water's surface. His lungs burned from lack of oxygen, and stars began to swirl behind his closed eyelids as unconsciousness fell over him. Don't breathe, a woman's voice said to him. I have to, or I'll die. If you breathe, you'll die. Open your eyes, but don't breathe. I can't open my eyes. My face is buried in this mud. Open your eyes now, before you run out of air, the woman's voice was insistent. Keo opened his eyes and found he was standing up to his knees in the sticky, oily mud. A woman stood before him, farther out, waist-deep in the lake. Her naked body glistened, covered with slick black mud. 
Though the mud covered her face, she smiled at him. Her overly large eyes weren't human, but exuded compassion and understanding. Her nose was small and turned up, and her smile stretched unnaturally wide. She reached out to him, and Keo felt the cool touch of her fingers on his forehead, though she was far out in the lake. Remember this place, she called to him. Remember it and come for me. She brought her hand to her lips and blew him a kiss. You may breathe now. She was gone. She said, I may breathe now. Keo trusted her. Okay, if you say so. And he took a deep breath. Someone dragged his head above the surface of the water and rolled him onto his back. He gasped in a long breath, sucking water and slime that ran from his hair into his face. Keo coughed and gagged and sucked in more air. His eyes were filled with clay slurry, and he thought his jaw must have been broken. Every joint in his body hurt as he tried to move. He lay, still mired in the mud, and croaked through raw vocal cords. Thanks, Kayleen. Why did you come for me? I don't know. But I'm going to leave you now, if you think you can keep your head above water until someone else finds you. Wait. Help me sit. Keo struggled to free his hands from the nets. Kayleen gingerly pulled bits of net and rope from Keo's arms and hands, then took hold of his shoulders and pulled to help him hunch forward. His hands dropped slack into the mud. He screamed a silent howl that turned into a racking cough. Kayleen turned and ran. Her emotions, regret, guilt, shame, justification, and anger faded away with her. Sitting in the mud, Keo was in a world of pain. His eyes burned and scratched, caked with mud. His face throbbed, radiating out from his jaw, which didn't move. His ribs rebelled with every cough, and nausea eventually overtook him, and he vomited water and mud. He remembered the woman speaking to him, her body slick with a leg's black slurry. Her alluring eyes seemed to fill her face and radiated compassion, sympathy, and understanding. The world spun around him again, and every bruise, every break and cut throbbed with pain as if he was being beaten all over again. He fell back, expecting the splash of water and mud behind him to accept him into a warm, suffocating grave. Instead, hands caught him. "'I've got you, Corps Leader,' Nick said." More people are coming. We'll get you back to camp. Keo felt the emotions of the others as they approached. From Nick, he felt nothing. Many hands lifted him. The pain of movement raged through him like a lightning strike. Hands supported his head, back, arms, and legs. The pain grew as they carried him, and he tried to scream, though only a rasping groan came from his lips. Emotions swirled around him as the people carried him away, too many to identify a single person from the barrage of emotions. He heard Nick's voice as he spoke to Keo, supporting him under his right shoulder. Where was Crystal? And what about Bree? He thought dully. Where was Crystal? And what about Bree? He thought dully as the pain overcame him and he lapsed into unconsciousness again. 
Nick had walked out to the edge of the forest as the four others attacked Keel. He crouched in the scrub brush to avoid being seen. The boys wrapped Keel in nets and dragged him to the stream. They're going to kill him. What luck. These boys were doing Nick's work for him. They were going to kill his adversary and he wouldn't have to raise a finger. The first three riddles of his most recent contact with the oracles came to his mind. The moment of action is a pinpoint on the night sky. Opportunity passes like a fly over the midden. Love your enemies and murder your friends. The sequence is precise and the appropriate moment for domination. An egg and a creature will come first. The sun breaks on a black horizon giving birth to both creatures, night and day. The creature must be born as day opens to grow into the demon that rules the night. Was this his moment of action? Would he lose his opportunity like a pinpoint in the night sky? No, this wasn't an opportunity. This was a convenient circumstance. He was to love his enemy and murder his friend. To leave Keo to the devices of these four would be to murder him, though not by his own hands. Besides, according to the prophecy, there was a lot still to happen. An egg and a creature will come first. If he was to gain his own creature before he disposed of Keo, it hadn't happened yet. Was it clear, or was he just rationalizing his internal need to save Keo from the boys? Looking up, he saw as they rolled Keo down into the water and ran away. He had to wait for the four hooded boys to leave before he could safely help his core leader. As they slipped back into the trees, Nick began to stand, but dropped back into the grass and brush as another form ran to the water's edge, Kayleen. She raised Keo's head above the water, then helped him sit upright. She was gone in less time than Nick could have run to her aid. Company C! Corlito Noshani needs your help! Come with me! Nick shouted to his fellow trainees, spread throughout the trees and along the marsh's edge. He ran to Keo, reaching him just as he began to collapse onto his back. I've got you, Corlito, Nick said. Many people are coming. We'll get you back to camp. Keo woke. Someone was trying to kill him. He couldn't see. His eyes were sealed shut. Someone pinched his nose and held a hand over his mouth. He struggled to get breath, but the pain was too much to fight his attacker, and water spilled over his eyes and face. Keo, stop struggling. We have to clean you up. You have mud in your eyes and nose, a friendly voice said. Emotion radiated from the man in a pleasant wave. Concern, disgust, outrage, compassion. Keo was at the healer's wagon. He tried to relax and allow the man to work. As he did relax, the pain ebbed and he felt others close by. Sergeant Malcourt, Lieutenant Gorley, and Captain Brightford, and another officer. Keo hadn't realized the battalion officers had come to the swamp. Crystal was there, and Bree, also Minton, Shanderley, Belinda, and Kyander. Farther away on the edge of discernibility, Nick waited, his emotions unreadable. The healer rinsed Keo's eyes over and over and eventually applied a salve to them. 
he covered his eyes with a bandage and told him to try not to open or move his eyes if he could help it. The healer cleaned his mouth and nose and ears. I'm going to give you a potion that will put you back to sleep for the rest of the day so that I can evaluate your other injuries without causing you too much pain. When you wake up, call for me. I won't be far. The potion was warm, though not from heat, and burned his lips as it poured in. It was acrid and chalky, and his body tried to reject it, but even as he felt he would vomit the concoction out, he drifted off to sleep. Keo slowly became aware he was awake by the presence of emotional pulses around him. Crystal was beside him, kneeling next to his cot, holding his hand. Sadness, compassion, fear, desire. Bree was there as well, but a short distance away. Concern, regret, jealousy, love. The healer's concern flared in and out as the man considered or evaluated something. Kayleen was there as well. Why had she come? What were her emotions? Contrition, defiance, and sorrow? Healer, Keo whispered. Crystal stood and touched his forehead lightly. Healer, Keo's awake, Crystal said. Keo felt the man approach. Let's take that bandage from your eyes and see how you look, he said, as Keo felt the man tug the wrapping from around his head and removed the padding before his eyes. Open them if you can, Keo. Keo tried to blink several times before the salve finally thinned enough to allow his lids to part. They feel all right, he whispered. Not scratchy or anything. Keo felt someone approach. Captain Braitford, I guess you're here to ask me if I know who did this, sir? Yes, Corps Leader. Do you? Yes, sir. But their heads were covered with hoods. I never saw their faces. Did you hear them speak and recognize their voices? No, sir. They only spoke in whispers. How do you know who they were, then, Noshani? The same way I knew it was you who walked up just now, and that you were here to question me about the attack. I felt their emotions. I felt their hate, their envy and lust for destruction. I recognized one in particular who has hated me for a long time. They bound me with nets, beat and kicked me, and threw me headfirst into the muck and water, expecting me to die but I can't point my finger at any of them without sharing the secret that I can recognize people by their emotions. I don't ever want them to know, just as the four of you now know. Kayleen stepped backward a half-step, her feelings of guilt becoming much stronger. I understand your hesitation, but given the circumstances, using this information to condemn those who attacked you can put an end to this unfortunate situation. Resolve it before you go home. Then you will have no fear of further reprisals later in your life. Captain Braidford, what do you mean before I go home? I know you don't want to hear it, but you have to face the facts. The healer says the damage to your body may be permanent. Even if it's not, the extent of the attack relieves you of your king's obligation. You will be well compensated and may return to your family's farm. I'm not going home. Keo rebelled with all the strength he had, though it came out as a little more than a loud cough. With all due respect, Captain Braitford, 
My creature is out there, and I need to get her. If I don't, she will die. And it was she who saved my life when I was suffocating in the mud. Healer, the boy's delirious. Is there something you could give him to calm him? Yes, sir. Let me get something. No, Keo said as calmly as he could. I don't need a relaxer. I know where to find my creature. You can wait until everyone has found theirs. And if I'm not able to walk, if someone can carry me there, I will get my egg. I have a destiny, and no one, not even an egotistical, self-serving, designate third, nor a well-meaning battalion commander, is going to stop me. If I have to start now and drag myself by my hands, I will get my creature. Very well, Noshani, Captain Braitford said. Rest now. We can talk more tomorrow. It's getting late, and we should all be resting. The egg hunt begins in three days so you have six to get your strength and find your egg. The captain left the healer, Bree, and Crystal to tend to Keo. Kayleen had slipped away while he argued with his commander. Healer? What do you need, son? My leg is really starting to hurt. Keo gasped at a sudden twinge of pain. Where does it hurt, in your thigh or your lower leg? I, th- I think it's in the thigh or... I don't, I don't know... It seems like the whole thing, Keo said and tried to sit up to look at it. Doing so only woke the rest of his pains. He groaned and dropped back to the mat. Don't try to sit, Keo. You have a lot of injuries and we're just finding some of them now. You need to lay still. I know that now, he said, trying to be funny. But his head was spinning again and he felt like he would throw up. I'm getting cold. Do you have a blanket? The healer felt Keo's head. You're hot. You're getting quite a fever. I'll give you something to try and bring that down and take away some of the pain. I'm going to... Keo turned his head and vomited to the side. His whole body tensed as he did, and he was sure he heard his leg crack as pain erupted in his thigh again. Mixed with the bile, he tasted the putrid water and mud of the swamp and vomited again. His whole body shook. I'm cold! Keo shouted. Can't someone get me a blanket? You don't need a blanket. Your fever is climbing. We need to cool you down, not keep you warm, the healer said and turned to the girl standing by. Go get me a bucket of clean water. Ask the cooks. Get the coldest water you can and hurry. Keo was so consumed by pain and shaking, he didn't feel the girls leave his side. Swallow this. The healer put a small vial to Keo's lips. I can't. I'm going to vomit, he said, barely before he did again. Now, swallow this quickly, the healer said and poured the vial into his mouth. Keo had no choice and wondered how long it would remain in his stomach. First his tongue went numb, and then his throat. The burning in his stomach subsided. Before he could thank the healer for settling his stomach, he was asleep. When he woke again... It was dark and the air smelled of night. He was wrapped tightly in a blanket and could move neither his arms nor legs. He was still on his back in the healer's wagon in the main clearing. If he could only see the stars, he would know the time, but the swamp mist hung thick above. Someone slept on the ground beneath the wagon. A quick check of emotions told him Crystal dreamed below him. Healer? Kia whispered. He was so thirsty. Healer? 
He called again louder. Crystal stirred, muttering something in her sleep. Healer! Keo shouted. Oh, Crystal's tiny voice said, and she climbed to her feet. I'm sorry. I was supposed to watch for you to wake, but it's been hours and the healer needed some rest. Can I have some water? Yes, it's here. Keo heard the girl stand and stir about him. Here, drink slowly, she said, tipping the cup to his lips and taking it away. More, please. She pressed the cup to his lips again and said, You're very sick, Keo. The healer says you've been poisoned by the swamp water and it needs to pass through you. It will make you very weak and it may take a few days. Also, your right wrist is broken and it's been splinted. He was able to examine your leg while you were asleep. I thought it would wake you, the way you screamed when he moved it. The left leg isn't broken, but the knee's badly injured. It was horrifying how much he was able to turn your foot, like there was no knee at all. He splinted your leg as well. She stroked his left arm and said, Oh, does this hurt? No, Crystal, thank you. It feels good. She stroked his arm again and then smoothed his hair back out of his face. You can't go into the swamp to get your egg. You won't be able to walk for weeks. I'm going to get my egg. I was serious when I said I would drag myself, but it would be easier if I could get someone to carry me. Maybe some of the bigger guys in the Corps could carry me out there, on a stretcher or something. We'll have to see if Lieutenant Gorley lets them. He said that no one is to move you without his permission. When did he get here? I thought I dreamed that part. Officers from the battalion all got here early today. They came out to inspect how things were going, and will remain through the egg hunt. They came on horses, so they'll get back to the training camp much faster than us. Here's something for you to drink. I was told to give it to you if you woke up and started asking too many questions. Really? Why would they say that? They didn't. I'm just teasing. But they said I should give it to you before you start to feel sick again, and I really think you should get some more sleep before the morning. Okay, but kiss me first, Keo said. He lay there and enjoyed her gentle compassion as she kissed him and ran her fingers through his hair. Now, tell me good night and drink this. Good night, Keo said and opened his mouth for Crystal to pour in the numbing liquid. Thanks for listening to the Pariah Podcast. If you'd like updates on the podcast, other fiction I'm working on, or to join my monthly newsletter, where you'll get a free short story from one of my environments, go to norvaljoe.com you'll be directed from there. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.